Uh, so nice to be able to greet our visitors this morning. The church looks beautiful, as Pastor George said. And uh, if you don't have a place that you call your home of worship, if you don't have a place that you worship the Lord faithfully on Sundays, then we want to encourage you to join us here and uh, be a part of the ECC family and what God is doing here in Halloween. Not just on Sundays, but Tuesday nights we have prayer service. Friday nights we have our small group. And our ministries throughout the week, we have ministries that also meets, whether via Zoom or in person. So you can be a part of what God is doing here at Halloween Christian Church. Like we always say, um, uh, if you're looking for a perfect church, this is not the one for you. But if you're looking for a church that really loves God, that really loves Jesus, then we want to encourage you to join some imperfect people as we journey together in our coming to know who Christ is and what he wants to do in us and through us. And the church says, amen, amen. How many thank God for our musicians, our worship team, those who are upstairs, our ushers, our security team. They're pretty awesome, and we're so thankful to the Lord for every one of them. We had two incredible days, a Friday and Saturday. We had an, uh, an Easter walk journey through Easter week, and it was just so amazing. I hope that you were able to participate if you didn't, keep an eye on our social media pages throughout the week. We're going to try to put a video together that just shows a little bit about our Easter week. It was really a beautiful time. I'm going to invite you to stand and open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to encourage you. I know most of us uh, already have this custom that Easter should be a church day and a family day. How many say amen? amen. Right? We should gather together in church. Got to come to church. We should come to church every Sunday, but especially on Easter. And then um, and make it a family day. And let the family know why do we get together on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. Well, as a family, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And that our children would know that. And that our uh, uh, our, our teens would know that. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So we gather together as a family to do that. I want to just um, uh, just greet some families that we haven't seen in a little while for particular reasons, and we know them why. Uh, the Perez family, Josh, Carolina, the boys, are so happy that you're here and um, love you guys. Uh, Ephraim, uh, happy birthday, Ephraim. And he's, um, if you've been with our church for a long time, you know that Ephraim was an usher of our church for many years. And then the lady to his right won his heart over, and they moved to Puerto Rico. Um, and today's his birthday. He's here in the city of New York, and he's in his church. Ephraim, so, so nice to see you this morning. So nice to see each and every one of you this morning. First of Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. 12 through 20. First of Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 20. We're talking about the resurrected Jesus this morning. The Apostle Paul writes these words and he says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, 
but if he did not, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Father, we come before your presence this morning. Look at the word that you've laid in my heart all week long to share with your people today. I pray that it would speak to our lives. I pray today, Lord God, that we would leave more encouraged, more sure of our faith than never before, that we would leave here today with such a passion to come to know Jesus, the living Christ, more and more each day. We pray in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. You may be seated. So we're talking about the resurrected Jesus. A little bit of context of what's happening here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that will help us understand why the Apostle Paul writes these words. Well, the Apostle Paul writes these words, this chapter, because there was a concern in the church of Corinth during that time um, with regard to the resurrection. You see, the, the Hebrew people of that time did not believe in an afterlife. They did not believe in a resurrection. So for them to think that they would resurrect was going against their culture. Now, the Apostle Paul is telling them, but you are Christians now, and you believe and have accepted the resurrection of Jesus. And he's letting them know, not only have you accepted the resurrection of Jesus, many of you have seen and experienced the resurrection of Jesus. And they were okay with that. They understood the power of the resurrection that resurrected Jesus. But they had a hard time with understanding that one day, they also would resurrect. So they were like, you know, Christians, one day we also will resurrect. This was hard for them to believe. So Paul writes these, these verses. He writes this chapter, talks about the resurrection of Jesus, lets them know that Jesus has been resurrected. They have seen him. And the same spirit that resurrected Jesus would be the same Spirit, the same power that has resurrected Jesus would be the same power that would resurrect them one day. So it was a, it was a, it was a teaching against their culture, but the Apostle Paul was letting them know if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then you could also believe in the resurrection for your life. And, and I love, in addition to this, when we read this chapter, uh, you know, we can see that this is a setup for, for any unbeliever of, of the faith. Somebody who wants to disprove uh, Christianity, all they have to do is disprove the resurrection. And we can see that the Holy Spirit is intentional here, letting all the readers see this. Just prove that Christ did not resurrect from the tomb on the third day, and we're all wrong. In fact, we read that the Apostle Paul says, our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. 
I love that in verse 19, he says, if our faith in Christ is only for this life and not an afterlife, we of all people must be pitied. But and then he affirms the teaching in verse 20 and says, oh, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. And for this reason, you and I one day will also resurrect. He is the first fruit of the resurrection. And the same power that resurrected Jesus will resurrect us one day. So the Apostle Paul, he writes these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to convince and show the people that they can believe not only in the resurrection of Jesus, but that one day they also will experience the same resurrection at the end time and find themselves before the Savior. And the church says, Four observations today with regard to the resurrection that I'd like to share with you. Four observations with regard to the resurrection. The first one is, the resurrection is essential to all that we believe as Christians. The resurrection is essential to all that we believe, we believe as Christians. Uh, the resurrection is the proof of the power of God. In resurrecting Jesus from the grave, God reminds us of his absolute power, his absolute sovereignty, over life and death. In fact, the psalmist said, from with you, talking about God, from with you is the fountain of life. In fact, Job understood this when he looks uh, at his family and he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May, may the name of the Lord be praised. In other words, he is the giver of all things. He is the giver of life. He's the one that gives and he is the one that takes away. It's a reminder to us that the resurrection is proof of the power of God over life and death. In fact, John writes this, all things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has become life. In other words, he's saying he has all power over all things, over life and over death. You see, the resurrection is essential to all that we believe. If Jesus did not resurrect, then we're lost in our sins, and he's not our savior. If Jesus did not resurrect, then we are condemned to die. Unto the victory of Jesus on the cross, the whole human race was held in slavery by the fear of death. In fact, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, um, uh, free those uh, that Jesus freed those who are alive where, sla where slavery had them held to death. Jesus set them free. Paul writes in Corinthians and he says, Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection is essential to all that we believe as Christians. Uh, it's the proof of the power of God. It's a, it's a reminder to us that he is our savior. You see, if Jesus did not resurrect, then all that we believe is a lie. If he did not resurrect, there is no redemption. There is no forgiveness. That means we, are, we cannot buy ourselves out of slavery. That means there's a price that still needs to be paid our sins. If Jesus did not resurrect, then we cannot have communion with the Father because the Father could only have communion with a perfect, 
a, a humanity, with a sinless humanity. And we could approach the Father because of the resurrection of Jesus, because his blood has washed away all our sins. And today we are new creations found in Christ Jesus. And now the Father can look upon us and see his Holy Son. You see, if the resurrection uh, did not occur, did not happen, then we have no hope and we are lost. And God's word is a lie. And all that we have and all that we believe in has deceived us. But I love how the Apostle Paul writes verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruit of all those who have fallen asleep. You see, if Jesus did not resurrect, then there is no resurrection for us. There is no eternity for us. But I love that Paul writes in Thessalonians and says, For since we believe that Christ died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That's you and me. If Jesus did not resurrect, then even the scriptures are false. And the Bible says that the word of God will not pass away. Well, if, God, if Jesus did not resurrect, then the word of God will pass away. But thanks be to Christ. Indeed, he has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruit of all those who have fallen asleep. So I love starting this teaching this way. And I know it's kind of like, hey, it's Resurrection Sunday. The tomb is empty. Let's celebrate here. But it's a reminder to us to remember that the resurrection is essential to all that we believe. And if we realize it and put our faith in it, it changes our lives forever. There was an author there is an author by the name of Josh McDowell, and he, uh, he authored many books. And in his college years, he was an agnostic who laughed at the gospel. But after a challenge from some of his friends, uh, he dedicated time to disprove the central doctrine of Christianity, which is the resurrection. At the end of his findings, he is convinced that there was enough evidence of Jesus' claim that he is God. And he writes these books, evidence that demands a verdict, more than a, comp uh, more than a carpenter, the unshakable truth, skeptics should consider Christianity. Lee Strobel, many of us knows, know his book. He started off as a journalist with the goal to discredit the resurrection. And after all his studies, he writes the book, The Case for Christ. In other words, those who have tried to discredit the resurrection come up empty and they come up convinced that Jesus did resurrect. And for that reason, he is the truth. The resurrection is essential to all that we believe. And the church says, Amen. so many have tried to discredit the resurrection. Our second observation, many have tried to discredit the resurrection, but they couldn't. There is nothing, uh, nothing uh, uh, doctrinal that they can write to discredit the resurrection. So they come up with theories that try to discredit the resurrection. And they made up a few theories. And one is that Jesus wasn't really dead on the cross. That he just kind of fell in a coma state. And while he was on the cross, he just kind of fell out. And the cool air of the tomb resurrected him. And he was able to unwrap himself from the linen 
move the rock that weighed over a thousand pounds and show the people after being battered on the cross that he was still alive. It's just a theory that has no weight. They're trying to pop holes in the doctrine of the resurrection. Others say, it's that the disciples moved the body of Jesus. Uh, they moved the body of Jesus, but I wonder, I don't think that anybody would suffer torture and poverty and, and, and death for something that they know to be an absolute lie. But they try to discredit the resurrection. Some people say that the Roman soldiers stole the body of Jesus. But I wonder, when they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem, would not those Roman soldiers have shown the body of Jesus? Theories that have holes in them. Others say that um, the women went to the wrong tomb. They went to the wrong tomb. But after the resurrection, the disciples also ran to the tomb. And not only that, in John chapter, in Mark chapter 15, it tells us that the women were at the tomb in the time of his burial. So they could not have gone to the wrong tomb. People just trying to discredit the resurrection. This one, this one just makes us laugh. Others say they saw hallucinations. That the disciples were so emotionally wrecked by the losing of Jesus that they were hallucinating seeing the resurrected Jesus. The scripture tells us more than 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. Not everybody can resurrect. But they're trying their best to, to maybe discredit the resurrection. And others say somebody said they were Jesus. They impersonated Jesus. And one of his disciples walked around saying, I'm Jesus, and I resurrected. But the holes in his arm, in his hands, and on his thigh, and on his back would have revealed that that was not Jesus. You see, they've tried to discredit the resurrection, but have not been able to. Why? Because Jesus resurrected 2,000 years ago from the tomb. And it is essential to all that we believe. And the church says, so our third observation with regard to the resurrection this morning, what proof of the resurrection do we have? What proof of the resurrection? A few things. The first one is we have the empty tomb. It is undeniable that the tomb was empty. The guards were there. They were standing there. And at the morning, they, the tomb, the body was not there. And the tomb was empty. And the people went. The disciples went. The ladies went. And it was an affirmation that Jesus had resurrected because the tomb was empty. How many of the tomb is still empty today? The proof of the resurrection. You know what I love with regard to the proof of the resurrection? The conversion of the Apostle Paul for me is very instrumental. Because it happens years later. And one day on his road to Damascus to torture Christians, to imprison Christians, on his way there, he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus asks him, why, why are you persecuting me? And he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And the Apostle Paul wasn't one of the original 12. He wasn't one that walked with Jesus' incarnation. No, uh, he is there and he sees only the resurrected Jesus. 
And his experience transformed his life so much that he became the great apostle Paul that we know today. Why? Because he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. I want to tell you, perhaps you're here today and you're not sure where you are in your faith. An encounter with the resurrected Jesus will change your life forever. The proof of the resurrection, we have the empty tomb, the conversion of Paul. Number three, uh, the commitment of the disciples and the first century Christians, church, when they uh, live with this passion, when we read Acts chapter 1 and 2, and we read the, the, the book of Acts, and we see the passion that the disciples had to preach Jesus, where did that passion come from? They saw the resurrected Jesus. They knew that they were preaching something that was true, something that was alive, something that was well, and it was changing lives. And they taught and they preached and they lived with such a passion, such a conviction, such an anointing. Why? They had experienced the resurrected Jesus to the point that they're willing to give their lives for him. You know, and I love the book of Jude, the epistle Jude. The short book in the New Testament right before Revelation. Well, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. And in the, in the history of the church, it talks that his conversion came after the resurrection. And it is believed because he encountered the resurrected Jesus. And when you read the book of Jude, it's just a few verses, one chapter. In verse 3, he writes, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for your faith, because he had come encounter, in, in, in to counter with the resurrected Jesus. When we look at the commitment of these disciples and this first church, it impacted them because they had saw Jesus. Not only the disciples, but many saw the resurrected Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes and says over 500 people came to know the resurrected Jesus. How awesome is that? And you know what's real special about the proof of the resurrection? I love that the women were the first to see the resurrected Jesus. And the women say, and you know why this is important? Because if somebody was going to make up the story, they wouldn't have used women to make up the story. Because in those times, the value of the word of the woman wasn't honored. So if they were going to make up a story, they would have made up a story using men. But because this is truth, and this is the reality of our Christian faith, the women encountered the resurrected Jesus, and they were the first to testify that Jesus is alive and well. So we can come together, and we can see that there's so much proof of the resurrection. We have the empty tomb, the conversion of Paul, the commitment of the disciples. We have the resurrected Jesus seen over 500 times. The women, the first to testify. And today, the message of the resurrected Jesus is still touching and changing people's lives. And this is the proof of the resurrected Jesus. And the church says, so what does this mean for us today? What does it mean for us today? Our last observation. Because of the resurrected Jesus, he has to be the truth. He is the great I am. There's a great story in John chapter 8. Jesus is having a discussion with some Jews. And Jesus tells them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, 
I am. Jesus is the deliverer. And uh, they knew what he was saying. Jesus was saying, before Abraham, I am. He was letting them know, you know who delivered your forefathers from Egypt? I did. I am the great liberator. I am the great protector. He was letting those Jews know, you know who led you through the desert for 40 years? That was me. I supplied manna from heaven for you. I supplied water from a rock for you. That was me. I am the great I am. When God uh, sent Moses into Egypt, uh, he understood that he was with him. And Jesus is telling those Jews of his time, that was me. I was the liberator of your forefathers. And then he begins to tell them, and I am your liberator today as well. What I did for them, he says, I'm going to do for you as well. And he goes into the great statements of the I am. And he begins to tell them, I am the bread of life. And he was talking about the manna from heaven for them at that time. But now he confirms it and he says, I am the bread of life. Letting the people know that uh, this bread will satisfy every longing of your life. And he tells them, I am the one that you need. He tells them, I am the light of the world. People are lost in darkness. They're lost in sin. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am what you need. Do you find yourself in darkness today? Jesus is the answer. Jesus tells them, I am the door. He tells them, there is no other way. He reminds them, I am the only way to the Father. Today in age, there are different religions that are trying to get to the Father different ways. But if you go to Solanka, you'll find the tomb of Buddha there. If you go to China, you'll find the, the grave of Confucius there. If you go to Saudi Arabia, you'll find uh, uh, the, the prophet uh, um, the prophet Muhammad's uh, tomb there. But in Jerusalem, the tomb is still empty. Why? Jesus, he is the door. Jesus told them, I am the true vine. How strength for making the right decisions. How strength for living the life that God has called us. It's because we are connected to Jesus who is alive and well. And he is the true vine. Jesus tells them, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd that gives his life for his sheep. He's letting them know, I will do whatever I have to do for you. For I am the good shepherd. He finishes off talking about he is the resurrection and the life. It's a statement that's claimed to understand that only salvation would come to him, through him. And then he tells them, if you want to get to the Father, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will get to the Father. No one will get to Jehovah if not through me. This affects us. This is why the resurrection is so essential because it reminds us that he has to be the truth. He has to be the truth because he resurrected 2,000 years ago. He is the great I am. And the church says, because Jesus resurrected, how does this affect us? Man, we should spend our lives coming to know him. He is alive and well. We should spend our lives coming to know him, coming to know him through his word. 
The Bible reminds us that our faith comes through knowing him and knowing his word. Jesus reminded us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He is the word and we come to know him through his word. Feast on God's word so that we can come to know the living Jesus. The Bible reminds us that his word is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it reaches the most inner parts of our lives to lead us, to convict us, and to show us his perfect will. Come to know Jesus through uh, his word. Come to know him through life experiences. I love the Apostle Paul's life experience. He had an encounter with Jesus on his road to Damascus, it was an encounter that changed his life. Many of us here today have had times in our lives where we know that God ministered to us. Let those times resonate in your heart. Be reminded of the times when God spoke to you, why he is alive and well, and he speaks to lead us and encourage us and draw us closer to him. Come to know him through life experiences. I remember a season in my life where I was just seeking the Lord and the Lord would minister to me in certain ways and remind me that he's called me, remind me that he's leading me, that he will help me, that, that we can have victory through our relationship with him. Today, I want to remind you that he is alive and well. Come to know him for your own personal experience. Also, come to know him through time. As you seek him through time, it's not one Sunday, it's not two Sundays, it's not one month, but it's a, a lifelong journey of coming to know who Jesus is and come to know him through others as well. Within the family of God, we walk together, we journey together, we live this life together, and we come to know him together as a church people. And we realize that as we walk this life, the God that has ministered to us has ministered to others. And together one day, there will be a resurrection of the church. And we will all resurrect together. So we can walk together on this earth, knowing that one day our redemption will be complete in heaven, also with our resurrected Jesus. Because Jesus has resurrected, we know that he is the truth. We know that we must come to know him for ourselves. And because Jesus is resurrected, we are reminded that he one day will come again. I love that on the ascension, on the ascension when Jesus uh, is lifted into heaven, two men dressed in white tell the disciples, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus one day will return for the church and we will find ourselves with him. There was a time when Jesus was prepping the disciples and letting them know that his time on earth was coming to an end. And they were dealing with some emotions because Jesus kept talking about his time coming to an end. And Jesus tells them these words, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Letting us know that Jesus would leave them, but one day return again. I want to remind you today, how does the resurrection 
affect us? How should it change our life? Come to know him as the truth. Come to know him as one that will return. Come to know him as uh, uh, through his word and come to know him through his resurrection. And I remind you this morning as we close our teaching today, because Jesus resurrected, we now have a new found life in him. I love that the Apostle Paul writes and says, we are now a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, we are new. Not new, um, not improved, but a new creation. Not better than we were, no, but a new life in Christ Jesus. And this is what the resurrection has done for us. Perhaps you are here today and you feel like, I need a new life in Christ. Perhaps you are here today and you feel like, uh, I, I have been traveling a life of religion. I have been traveling a life of, of stagnation. I want to tell you that the resurrected Jesus is alive and well this morning, and he is still changing lives. Perhaps you are here today and you feel like, man, I am struggling in my life. I feel like I don't have peace with myself. I don't have peace with my family. I don't have peace with those that are around us. I want to introduce you to someone that can give you a peace with those around you, peace with yourself, and peace with God. And he is the resurrected Jesus. See, the, resurrec the resurrection is essential to all that we believe because Jesus is alive and well. Today, you and I can live life well. Because Jesus is alive and well, today we have a blessed hope, not just for this earth, but to find ourselves in the presence of Christ one day in eternity. So what does this mean? He has to be the truth. There's, no, there's truth found in no one else for eternal life, only Christ Jesus. Let's spend our lives coming to know him. That doesn't mean that we spend our lives trying to be perfect. We spend our lives trying to know who Jesus is, the one that is alive and well in the beginning of time, in the present time, and in the future. He also will reign forever. Come to know him. Because Jesus resurrected, he will one day come again. He will. And we'll find ourselves with him. Because Jesus resurrected, we can have a new life in Christ Jesus. So as I close our teaching this morning, inviting the musicians to the altar, perhaps you're here today and you feel like, I'm struggling in life. I'm struggling in life. I love that the Apostle Paul reminds us that it's the power that resurrected Jesus that one day will resurrect us. It's this divine power that only comes from heaven. That's the divine power that will save our lives, touch our hearts, and transform us this morning. Perhaps you're here today and you feel like, I'm battling. I want something new. I want something different. I want something new for my family, for my life. I've tried to live my own way. I've tried to do it my own way. I've always known about God. I've always known about church. But I've tried to handle it through rules, through religiosity. Today, I want to have a real 
personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus. No one has been able to discredit his resurrection. There's only proof of his resurrection. So today, I want to encourage you. Put your life in something that you absolutely know has to be the truth. And that is Jesus. I'm going to invite you all to stand. As we sing this song, perhaps there's someone here today that God is ministering to you. Someone here today that you feel like, I need to make some changes. As we sing this next song, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to be brave and join me here at the altar. And I'd like to say a prayer with you. Our pastors we will pray with you. We will say a prayer that we believe will change your life forever. We promise you that your future days will be better than your past days. That doesn't mean that you won't have problems. No, we all have problems. But the difference is that the resurrected Jesus that is alive and well, that will reside within your hearts, He will lead you and guide you every single day of your life and always lead you to the greatest good for you and for your family and there you always find peace and rest in him perhaps there's someone today that says that's me i need jesus i need to reconcile i need to make a new commitment i need to receive him as my personal savior Father, we thank you, Lord, for this privilege that we have to be able to gather here today to worship you, to bring attention once more to the resurrection. I pray, oh Lord, that your word will land in our hearts, draw us closer to you, oh Lord, and remind us that because you are alive and well, you have called us also to live well. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today right now that's struggling in their core, saying, I know I need to make some changes. Lord, would you help me to believe in you? That as we say this prayer and as we sing this song, that they will come forward, Lord, so that we can pray with them a prayer that will change their lives forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you would like prayer, the altar is open. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon. We pray it blesses and encourages your life.